we were singing down here, you're, you're never going to let me down. And um, I, I kind of flashed back this morning and singing it. I, I was alone in my house and uh, just felt like life had kind of uh, was torn apart a little bit. And I was, I was singing along with the song and started to yell it, you know, a little bit. And part of my yelling was, um, man, God, I, I believe you're never going to let me down really believe that. Part of my yelling, though, was like, man, I'm afraid. I'm a little bit afraid you're going to let me down, so I'm going to yell just a little bit louder. There's something just in that proclamation of a truth, you know, you're never going to let me down. I'm afraid that you might, but I'm going to believe and sing you're never going to let me down. And the reason why we apply some of those fears to him is because of all the things that have happened down here, you know. Love is a massive force on planet Earth, and it's something we experience in beautiful ways and in terrible ways and mundane ways and everything in between. I, I love love. I love love. And uh, I loved falling in love. I loved that it was the first time I joined Instagram because I got to love pictures of my wife. She'd post pictures, and I'd be like, love and uh, I loved it. I loved, uh, I loved love, falling in love and staying up late, trying to get off the phone with her. And I'm, I'm a disciplined guy. I like to go to bed at 10 or 10.30, after my sit-ups, of course. But <laughs> I just couldn't help myself. Love made me stay up late. Love made me love music and food that I've never loved before. And love made me giggle. And I'm a grown man with a beard, and it made me giggle. And I'm not afraid of that. <laughs> falling in love does amazing things. It's beautiful. But if you're to stay in the falling in love moment and not add anything to it, it becomes peculiar. You know, if you get married and you're just in the giggle stage of love, it just starts to feel peculiar. You want to add maturity to this love, you know, to, the, to this giggling Instagram heart love. You want to add something to it. And so this maturity comes, and I don't want to leave behind anything from the beginning stage. I want to add to it maturity of love, which has more like a habitual desire. And that sounds like a weird phrase as I said it out loud. I was like, is that wrong? (laughs) Habitual desire is like, I'm going to decide, in my desire, I'm going to decide to form habits around loving my wife. I'm not just going to feel love. I'm going to form habits around loving her. Maturing love is... It's emotional, but it's also practical. It's like, I love my wife so much that I'm going to do the dishes. Or I'm going to make the bed. You know, I'm going to vacuum the floor. I'm going to unbutton the top two buttons and vacuum the floor. <laughs> Just a little something special for you. <laughs> Maturing love is... Intimacy, and I'm not talking just about sexual intimacy. I love sexual intimacy, but it's not, intimacy is not just sexual. It's intimacy, it's vulnerability, knowing each other, but it's not just an intimacy. Maturing love has an impact to the world around you. There's something about it that's, that shelters each other, but it's also a force to the world around you. Love is interdependent, it's co working, it's co laboring. You know, in the beginning, when you look at people falling in love, you're like, they might be codependent, but once you fall in love and you begin to mature in your love, it's interdependent. It's beautiful. It's two people working together. And so all this maturing love is a small reflection of God's 
really beautiful love. But let me describe God's love because God's love, although we get to experience it down here in, in various ways, we don't get to experience in its fullness, and it's very different from our love down here. His love is very, very unique, very otherly, because it's holy. Holy is a, is a set-apart. It's, it's very different. It's, it's very otherly. Holy is a set-apart, but he's also a jealous, a jealous kind of love God. And jealousy is something I've experienced huffing and puffing and kicking my feet and stomping the floor. I'm jealous. God's jealousy, man, it, it has no sin in it. His jealousy is all about, you, you love all those other things. I'm so jealous for it. Because if you'll just look at me, I'll satisfy you beyond your belief. I'll satisfy you. And so I'm so jealous for you to have exactly what you need. Our jealousy is like, you don't love me like I want to be loved. I'm not sure why I'm using that voice. But God's love is strong. God's love is sophisticated, faithful, and unbreakable. His love is, these are three words we're going to say a lot today, covenantal, passionate, and transformational. His love is self-sufficient. And self-sufficient love has every right to want because self-sufficient love doesn't need. God's love isn't pacing heaven's floor going, I hope they love me someday. I hope they love me someday. No, God's love is sturdy and faithful. It's self-sufficient and it wants, it desires. God's love is beautiful. Quick quote, quote from Tim Keller. The love that created the world is the furnace in which you were forged. It was the consuming fire, the eternal and infinite fire of the love of God. That's where we were made. The Bible says that's where you were created. And therefore, because you were created in that kind of fire, there's no other kind of love that can warm your heart. There's no other kind of love that can melt and keep you. I submit that the love of God is the thing you need. His infinite, eternal love is the only thing you can have that you need. And now I want to read Hosea chapter 3, five brief verses. And the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods So I bought her for some shekels and some barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. And afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. I'm just going to pray a brief prayer. I'm not trying to be Christian-y. I'm trying to pray a prayer because in this moment, what every single one of us needs, including me, is the spirit of God to make all this stuff true because it's real, but we're the ones that kind of block it. So let's all pray together. Holy Spirit, help us. We want, to, we want to believe this stuff. We want to know this stuff. We want to live inside this stuff. And Jesus, by your Holy Spirit, that's the way we're going to receive it today. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, Hosea 3, we go through the first three chapters of Hosea, and this is kind of an exclamation point after the three chapters. There's a beautiful spike here about the love of God. You have Gomer who... We'll describe her in a second. You have Hosea, you have God, 
You have the children of God, the children of Israel. You have this betrayal. You have this slavery. And you have this unstoppable, breathtaking, jaw-dropping kind of love that comes from both Hosea and God. Now, Hosea was a prophet, and I'll briefly explain this because I know Josh has been talking about it the last couple of weeks, but Hosea was a prophet. He's a symbol of God. Prophets symbolize God, and they embody the message of God. He is the picture of God's heart. So when you see Hosea act out in the first three chapters, you're seeing God's heart. That's amazing. His life would be used to show us something profound, communicating something of the nature of God. And this is what God says to Hosea. Hosea, buddy, you and I are both going to completely give our hearts to people who will utterly reject us. And we're going to give our lives to win them back. You and me, both. It's amazing. Now, Gomer, Gomer was the unfaithful. Now, before we start pointing our fingers at the unfaithful, I just want to remind you that Gomer is an external picture of our internal hearts. So when I talk about Gomer, don't point your finger at Gomer. Say, God, that's the stuff that's going on in my heart. I'm not talking about just people who are not yet Christians. I'm talking about the followers of Jesus too. We are the picture of her. Gomer is a woman who is driven and defenseless against her own passions. That sounds like me. I'm driven and defenseless against my own passions. She's prideful, hard-hearted, numb, and discontent. That sounds like me so far, so good and bad. (laughs) She loves to create her own storyline, meeting her own needs. When you love your story, you love the maker of your story. When you hate your story, you just might hate the maker of your story. Let me say it again, like down here on planet earth, connecting with God, God, life is crazy, chaotic. I keep ending up in these weird, crazy places and situations and my heart's broken and my heart hurts, but I love you. So I'm assuming that you're creating my story and working inside of it. That's number one. Number two could be like, I hate my story. I hate these situations. I hate all the chaos. I don't care if they created it or I created it, but you're the problem and I'm always gonna blame you as long as it's going on wrong down here. That's what she's like. Sounds like me. But all this landed her in slavery, being sold as a prostitute. She may have even sold herself into temple prostitution or maybe sold by her lovers in slavery for money. And this is in the situation. All this is going on. And Hosea shows up. Remember, Hosea embodying God's heart. He shows up and he buys her back. And this is where we see the heart and message of God. Three things for type A people who are taking notes. You're welcome. He's covenantal. God's love is passionate. And God's love is transforming. God's love is covenantal, it's passionate, and it's transforming. Number one, God's love is covenantal. What does that mean? Sounds like a church word. Sounds like a big word. God's love is covenantal. It's more about God than it is about how we are or are not. It's how he loves covenantally, more about his faithfulness than, and less about our faithlessness. Okay, check it out. It's a brief description of Hosea. Hosea is there. And remember, he's, 
He's been in this relationship with Gomer for a little while. They've got three kids, so that's at least a little while. One of them is his, probably two are not. So this has been going on for a while, this coming and going, coming and going. And so he might feel a few things. If you've been betrayed in this room or lied to in a relationship, you know that you might have felt a few things. And anybody in a marriage might have felt some of these things. Sad and angry. That's very insightful, Charlie. Thank you. (laughs) Betrayed people feel sad and angry. (laughs) Shameful and devastated. Depressed and violent. Passive and insane. And all the while that that's going on, you've got this burning question inside of you. Why won't she love me? Jose is thinking, why won't she love me? Why wouldn't she return to me? And in that feeling that this guy has, God says, go and love again. Go again and love this woman who is loved by another man and is also an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and all kind of worthless things. Go and love again. This is where the betrayed heart of God fills Hosea's heart and Hosea rises up in his covenantal love and God's covenantal love. It rises and he goes and loves again because covenantal love forgives even while it's brokenhearted. Even while the object of covenantal love is in slavery and it's distant and it loves everything else and it's being passed around, covenantal love runs to us. It's unstoppable. And it's about you belonging to that covenantal love that causes it to run. Now, transactional love is different. It's more of what we experience down here. It's something I kind of struggle with myself. It's kind of like if you've ever owned a business, small or big, and you've, had, you've gotten to that point where you had to hire an employee, and what's more, than hire, what's more fun than hiring an employee? Hiring a friend that could be an employee, because then you can spend all that time with that friend who's the employee, and you start to pay that friend employee, and then all of a sudden it's like, is this my friend, or are they just getting paid? I can't figure it out. It's a transaction. But you all of a sudden can get a little confused on where the situation is. And this is where the excessive God is not transactional. The excessive God runs to us. God's love is not a behavioral financial exchange. It's not transactional. It's covenantal. It's not not just you hiring your friend to work with you. It's, It's also like, I can't be on my best behavior and do just keep doing things and doing things for my wife when actually she's like, get out of the kitchen and come sit with me because I don't need you to clean the kitchen. I want to be with you. That's how God is. Now, religion, religion may want to exploit us. Transactional love wants to exploit us. It wants some version of us. Religion says, hey, clean it up and I'll love you. That's transactional. It wants some version of who we are or it wants to use us to get to something else. That's religion. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about God's covenantal love. It's not because of us. It's because he wants us. So how do we get face-to-face with God, heart-to-heart with God? How do we get that? The religious answer is do everything right 
do all the things that you know to do, and you'll be face-to-face, heart-to-heart with God. Your religion says, how much can I do wrong? How far can I go? How crazy can I get before God gives up on me and he moves his face away from me? The only way for either side to get face-to-face and heart-to-heart with God is through Jesus and what he's done. It's through Jesus that we're friends with God again. That's covenantal love. It's not transactional. It's not how good can you be or how bad can you be. It's Jesus. And it's what everyone in this room needs. If you've walked with Jesus forever, if you thought you walked with Jesus forever, if you've hated God forever, if you thought you hated God forever, and every other thing that I'm not saying right now, Jesus is the way for us today. C.S. Lewis in talking about this God that we're searching for because we're all trying to take God and it's the easiest thing for me to make an image of God or have a conversation with a friend at Starbucks and go, yeah, 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 here's what God's like. I, me and my buddy made him up in Starbucks and he's like this. And let me describe him to you. C.S. Lewis says, you ask for a loving God. You've got one. The great spirit you so lightly invoked, the Lord of terrible aspect, is present He's not a senile benevolence that drowsily wishes you to be happy in your own way. He's not a cold philanthropy of a conscientious magistrate. I had to work on saying those two words together. (laughs) Nor the care of a host who feels responsible for the comfort of his guests. He's the consuming fire himself, the love that made the worlds. And he's jealous Because he says, guys, if you just look up at me, I'll satisfy everything. I'm worth everything. I'm worth your life. Look up at me. So God's love is covenantal, but it's also passionate. Covenantal can sometimes kind of sound like, we agree to do these things. Covenant, handshake. I was handshaking. That's what I was doing. It wasn't a robot. Some people get confused between my robot and a handshake. That was a handshake. God's love is covenantal, but it's also passionate. It's driven by heart. It's driven by emotion. But passion is not just emotion. I think sometimes people in in these days think like, I'm passionate for bowling because I did a really good job bowling that one time I went, and now I'm a bowler. I'm not even sure why I'm using that word picture. But that's not passion. Passion is Passion is the degree of difficulty you're willing to endure to get to the goal. When you're passionate for something, it's not just feeling, it's action. You can say all day long, I have all this desire, I have all this passion, but that's not passion. That's kind of wishes and hopes. Passion says, I've got all this desire and emotion and I'm gonna put some things to it. That's what God has. For us, his love is passionate. Now in this passionate love, God says to Hosea, go again and love. And Hosea in his state is like old wounds have to be reopened again. I got to take off my armor, my fear of everything and step back into being vulnerable and open. Because God says, go again and love. She had sunk down to the place where maybe her lovers were just passing and sending her around. And God says, go again and love. Maybe they were pimping her out. 
Maybe she's up for sale. Maybe she's in the marketplace. There she is in the marketplace. And God says, go again and love. She's probably standing there stripped naked because the people who were about to buy wanted to see what their merchandise looked like. That's his wife. And God says, go again and love. She's at the very depth of degradation at the time of her life in which she felt the most worthless and in the most despair. She stands there and people begin to bid on her naked in the marketplace, bidding, yelling, holding up money. And to her amazement, one of the voices that gets the loudest, remember Hosea is the embodiment of God's heart. One of these voices is familiar. In the noisy bidding war comes the voice. Hosea says, I want her. I'll take her. That's covenantal, passionate love. So verse two, and Hosea says, so I bought her for some shekels and silver and some barley. Passion is the degree of difficulty you're willing to endure to get to the goal. It's not just a feeling, it's desire with action. It says, I'm kicking down every door. Money's not a problem. Lies won't stop me or what people think. Mountains, valleys, explosions. I don't care. I'm passionate and I'm moving toward that. She is what I want. That's what Hosea said to her. That's what God says to us covenantally, passionately. He must have walked up to her in that bidding war and instead of treating her like a slave, he covered her nakedness. He gives her back her dignity as a woman, takes her by the hand and leads her away. And imagine what she's thinking. Does this guy really love me? Is this for real? I've screwed it all up. How could he love me? Oh, I get it. He's buying me because he's gonna punish me. Now I'm his slave. He's gonna tyrannize me. Just remember real briefly, Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, angels or rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. We find great comfort in that when we're all screwed up, when we've lost everything, when we're naked in the marketplace and everything's been stripped away. It's passion. Verse 3. You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. The first few times I read this, I thought, I know exactly how his voice sounds. His voice sounds like, hey, you're going to dwell as mine now. (laughs) It's not how he sounded. Little Samuel Jackson in there somewhere. (laughs) But I'm, I'm remembering he's the embodiment of God's heart. He says, you got to dwell as mine now. You can't, you can't play the whore anymore. You can't belong to another man. And you know what? I'm not going to belong to anybody else either. I belong to you. So what he's looking for, he bought her. He's got this covenantal, passionate love. He buys her. He pulls her out of slavery. And now he's going to kind of set some, some boundaries around her. Now, I don't mean like mean boundaries. I mean like anybody that needs a restart has got to have some boundaries around it. And so what he's saying is, hey, for many days, come on, dwell with me. I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you something. Please don't, don't give yourself to anybody else. I won't, I won't give myself to anybody else. Let's just have a clean break from all this, 
harlotry and let's let transformation begin. He didn't use his authority. He didn't go in and say, guys, look, I know you're bidding on my wife, but I actually already own her. He didn't put his fist down and his foot down and say, you're just coming with me. I already own you. He used his kindness. He set these boundaries. I'm yours. You're mine. It's kind of like when you put a splint on a broken leg. It's there to heal. It's there to heal it. He said, I don't want you as a slave. I don't even want you back in the house just to be back in the house. I just don't want you one foot out and one foot in. I want, I want you to be my wife. I don't want you to sleep with other men and I won't sleep with any other women. We're not for sharing. This is exclusive. And that's a good and right and beautiful splint and boundary where transformation can begin. God's love is co- covenantal. It's really passionate and it's transformational. God's love is transformational. It changes us from the inside out. It may start with some splint, but it changes us from the inside out. It's healing. Now, here is Hosea. Here is God. Here we are. Here's Gomer. This transformational love begins. And there's three ways you can kind of go about it. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised or accusatory at anyone who went about it in any, any way. We're all making this up as we go along, but God's pretty clear in some ways. But here's some starting places. There's three ways to, to walk this out. One is, okay, look, I'm going to lower the bar. I get it. You've had a really hard life. I get it. You're, you're confused and upset. And it's been a, it's been a crazy few years. So I, I understand. So I'm going to lower the bar because I just want you in the circle here. Just want you back. And I'll just be supportive and affectionate. Kind of whatever you want to do here is you, you call the shots. That's not what God did. Second way about it is, look, I bought you back. You're here, but I'm done. I just want to let you know that I'm out. You've lost your mind. You're crazy. And you've been nothing but pain to my heart. I'm done. All that would be reasonable in this situation. But look at what God does. It's amazing. He doesn't ease the pain by compromise. He doesn't quit. He doesn't hold it over head. What God says, what God's love says, is I want to transform you now. I want to melt you. I want to take all that hard heart. I want to melt it. I want to transform you. So verse four says, the children shall dwell without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. And a real brief quote from a guy named A.W. Pink. He says, the affections of man cannot be idle. If they do not go out to God, they leak out to worldly things. When our love for God decreases, the love of the world grows in our soul. So it's very appropriate for transformational love to build a boundary around this love, to say, you're mine, I'm yours, everybody's in, we're exclusive, we're gonna heal this thing, I'm not lowering the bar, I'm coming for you to melt you, to transform you. Transformation begins with this losing of everything. He says, without king or prince, sacrifice or pillar, ephod or household gods, this is what's happening. In the transformation, he's saying, Throw your crutches to the side. Throw your dependencies out. That's not what you need. 
I understand you're leaning on some of those things, but what you need is to look to me and I'm going to be all satisfying. She's physically stripped at this time. Everything is gone. She's naked. She's been enslaved and pimped. She's emotionally stripped of security and protection. She has no comfort, no home. She's spiritually stripped of her religion and all her prayers because some of her acting out was a religious thing. Everything's gone. And the stripping puts us in this intersection where we experience our need and we either call out to receive or we continue to try to write our own story. And I just want to say, if you're in this place today and you've reached any sort of moment in your life where you're in this intersection at any level of what that intersection feels like, you've lost everything completely or you've lost enough to feel pretty mopey. It doesn't matter. You're at an intersection because God is after your heart. It doesn't matter how you got there or who put you there. You can blame and accuse and victimize yourself all day long, but what God is after is your heart. He's saying, look up at me today. I know you lost everything. I'm sorry, and I was the first one that wept over it, but look up to me today because I'm gonna be what gets you through this. I'm gonna be what satisfies you. I'm gonna be what you need, and I'm gonna be what helps you love again. The goal is for God to be our prize be our treasure, to be the one that satisfies us, to be the most beautiful, to be the most cherished. So verse five, return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come and fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. And God's faithful love has seen everything about us, and he still came for us. Now, if you're thinking out of at a surface level right now when I say he saw everything about you and you're being like, oh no, he saw me lie. Oh no, I'm not talking about just lies. Man, that is, I've done it five times already today just standing in front of you. That doesn't make you comfortable at all, does it? <laughs> I'm not talking about lies. I'm talking about the stuff that we don't even want to say out loud ever. I'm talking about the things that we did 20 years ago if you've been alive that long. I'm talking about the things that happened yesterday, maybe. Some of you drug yourself into this room today because you're like, I know know what I need. I don't know how to get there, and I'm in a terrible state, but I I know where I need to go. Man, his faithful love sees absolutely everything, and that's terrifying. It's really terrifying. But he still came for us, and that means he's good. So be a, little, be a little timid, be a little fearful. Come in fear and trembling, but also know that he's good. He saw everything ahead of time. It could get a lot worse from now for us, and he saw it. I know it's not very positive. Is it, he saw everything that's coming. He sees it, and he said, I'm good. I see everything, and what you need is me. Now, Gomer's only hope, was in love she never deserved, and that's our hope. Now remember, don't point your finger at her. She's just a picture of our heart. So what does Gomer do? We don't know. Was she transformed? Was she melted by love, by Hosea's love? Did she get changed? Did she get her dignity back? Did she laugh at his face? We don't know. We don't see the end of that story. But we do know our story. Jesus came for us. So my invitation to you is is in transformational love, 
You can come as you are. Jesus said, you're a murderer if you hate. Man, that changes that bar quite a bit. So I'm like, I'm not a murderer, but I have hated. Hated with fury. You're, you're an adulterer if you've looked on another woman with lust in your heart. Well, I'm an adulterer. I'm a murderer and I'm an adulterer. I'm an arrogant preacher. I'm a whatever you want to call me. We are all kinds of things in this room. And God says, come as you are. Come just like you are. No, no, no. You're not talking about me. I'm talking about you. I believe in what God is saying, that his love's covenantal and passionate and transformational. I'm, I'm talking about all of us. Come as you are, but transformational love says, come as you are, but I will not leave you as you are. That's what's beautiful about God. Come as you are, I'm not gonna leave you where you are because where you are hurts. It's, it's you being in charge and I want, I wanna watch over you. I wanna be everything you need. All right, God's love is transformational. Changes us from the inside out. He melts us. We come as we are. He receives us as we are, but he doesn't leave us there. God's love is passionate. It's filled with desire and action. He's willing to go to death to buy us back. Nothing can steal us from his hand. God's love is covenantal. It's about who God is and how he loves us, how he wants us, just as we are because of who he is. This is what we all long for. This is really what I want to know. It's what I want my wife to live in. It's what I want my kids to grow up and know. It's covenantal, passionate love that Jesus purchased for us on the cross. It didn't cost him shekels. It cost his life to win us back now and forever Jesus is the fulfillment of all this. He bought us back through his betrayal, through his mockery, through his bloodshed and beating through his death. That was his victory in buying us back out of slavery. It's where he restored us. Jesus says, I want you to be my friend. I want you to be my family. I want to be your only, your highest treasure. Followers of Jesus, this is what I'd say to you. Two words. Repent and delight. Repent sounds like one of those heavy, heavy duty Christian words. Repent. Leave everything behind that's distracting you from God being your only desire and love. If you just repent, it feels very sad. It just feels like you're leaving a bunch of things behind. But if you repent and you delight, you're going to be filled up. And some of the things that you're repenting from, they won't even nip at your heels anymore. Some of those things, when you delight your hands that you're holding on to, start to loosen their grip, and you're just, you're falling in love again with Jesus. And you repent, and you just repent, it just feels, you're just going to be cranky. But if you delight, then everything gets swapped out. Oh, this is what I needed the whole time. Okay, those who are not yet Christians. This is what I'd say to you. I get, I get all the kicking and screaming against God. I get it. I get all the, all the cussing and yelling against God. Absolutely. This thing is nuts. 
a, a love like this, it's unrealistic. But it's not. I get all the questions. I get all the science. I understand what's going on in your mind. But I'm just inviting you, those who are not yet Christians, start a conversation with God in Jesus. Start a conversation with God and say, God, are you real? Because I don't even really want you, so there's no loss here. Are you real? Then please show me. This Jesus guy, how does it all work together? Start the conversation. Let's all stand up together. So Luke 9, 51. It said, when the days drew near for him, Jesus, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. What does that mean? It means that Jesus had lived his life 33 years. God the Father and his relationship kept unfolding and building. And Jesus was like, I get what's happening here. You know why he was so frustrated in the garden? He was bleeding blood. is because he knew exactly what was coming. He knew that he was going to have to bear the weight of all of our sin, all of our anger, all of our hurt. He was going to have to bear that weight. And it was going to press him down and break him. He knew that he was going to have to... Uh, to bear like that separation from God, his father, for the first time ever. He grew up hearing and sensing his father for the first time ever on the cross. That was gonna separate for a moment because he was gonna bear our weight and our sin. And when it says he set his face like flint, he sternly fixed his face and he started walking. He's not gonna look to the left or the right and he knows exactly what's coming. He set his face like flint because he said, I want you, I want you guys. I want the worst of the worst. I love that one, I'm gonna buy them. That's amazing, that's amazing. He set his face like Flint because he said, I want them. And the second thing he said is nothing can stop me. Now I read Romans eight earlier and, and I know we find a lot of comfort. Nothing can separate me from his love. Nothing can steal me from his hand. But he's saying, I want you and nothing can stop me. Let me just read you a version of Romans 8 from God's heart to you guys. And then we're going to sing and respond. I do want to invite you to hold out your hands. I understand that it's not comfortable for everyone. So not everyone has to hold out their hands. This is an external sign of receptivity of what's going on in the heart. It's just a holding out of the hands. I'm open. I'm open. Sometimes I hold out my hands because I want to be open, but I am not open. Sometimes I hold out my hands because I am open and I want to stay open. So here's what Jesus Christ says to us in Romans 8. The one who died and was raised sits at the right hand of God. He says to the children of God, I want to let you know nothing can ever separate you from me. Here's some things that can't separate you from me. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, swords. You're my children, you're my sons, you're my daughters. And I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate you from my love.
Nothing can stop me. I want you and nothing can stop me. Jesus, lift our eyes, open our hearts, help us hear your voice right now.